So pick a process that you care about, pick a process that you're passionate about, you know? Yeah. I think that that's the, that's ultimately the best way to go about it. Right. Anything where you can like that, that gets you the most invested in the process of what you're doing, like do that thing and all this and stuff will come out of it. You know, like you don't know what, and it won't always be, you know, you won't always get certain things from it. Some things will do well. Some things won't do as well, but you know, you'll, you'll have lived the life of an artist, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're in an artistic medium or not, or, or profession or not, you know, that is an artist, like in a, a master artist mindset. This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Well, hello, people on the other end of this podcast. This is uh, 150 episodes of Way of the Artist. We have hit a little milestone, and we have no idea what we're going to talk about today. We're doing a not-so-serious Sunday, meaning that we're just going to jump in, wing it, see what happens, see where it takes us. And uh, I mean, we've said this before, but I mean, it's always good to kind of reiterate. It's This is a creative process, and everything's a creative process. And sometimes, you know, the best thing to do is just to have an intention. Okay, I'm going to go do this thing. You don't have to have all the answers worked out. You don't have to even know where you're going to go, but it's important sometimes as a creative to just launch yourself into something and see where it takes you. Let it kind of open the path for you. And I mean, just to start this off, Evan, you know, something I used to do when I started screenwriting was a lot of the time I would just have a screen play idea because I didn't really know enough about how to put together a log line or a structure or outline or any of that stuff. And I would just use the inspiration of a character or scene or something like that. And, you know, you just kind of let that character evolve. And then the story kind of unfolds. And all of a sudden you have a screenplay written and it might've started out of, you know, one little line or one little character trait or one little thing. So, you know, you you usually don't even need very much at all to get going. And uh, that's what these kind of talks are all about. So I don't know. What do you got to add today, Evan? For this milestone, well, you, you know, just some of what you were saying there, <clears throat> I know that very often as a creative, like sometimes you have certain things that, that enter into your head, enter into your mind, like just kind of what you were saying and you have no idea where they'll take you. Sometimes you've got like a sense that of something being important that might seem very trivial but sometimes like a, a really small thing is absolutely key. I found that definitely within acting, um, even within writing as well. You know, sometimes you just have, there's something that's in your head that can bust the whole thing wide open. You know, like it's, um, you know, sometimes in a performance, it's a certain thing that, the character says, or sometimes it's something that another character says, and it just sends a signal through my whole system where it's like, that's really important. And there might not necessarily be anything that was intentionally important about it, but it strikes you 
you know, as the artist, as the creative person, as being important. And so I, I've learned to follow those signals more and more and more. Same thing with writing as well. You know, sometimes it's just like there's a scene, there's an image or something in my head, and that's the key to the whole thing, right? Like, I think that they say like in Indiana Jones, that whole that whole trilogy came as a result of just this image of this guy in like a cowboy hat riding on a horse next to a bunch of trucks with Nazis in it. <laughs> like it was, that was the image. That was, that, that was the whole thing. And they didn't know what the hell it was, but it was like, I don't know. That's like cool. That's really cool. And it became, that was Indiana Jones. That's how it all initially started. So, um, I, I just, right off the bat, I want to, to kick off by, uh, by saying that just in, in terms of what you were saying. James Cameron shares a story about uh, Terminator and his inspiration was a dream. He actually woke up from a dream and he said, Oh, you know what? There's something in this, you know, this future with robots that, you know, and then it, it you know, obviously it wasn't fully fleshed out in the dream, but he had some images and he had some things that he was pulling from. And I mean, Terminator is arguably one of the biggest, sci-fi action series ever done to this date like it's 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 a massive success a massive thing i mean they've they've done multiple um sequels to it they've done a television series of it and i'm pretty certain that unless something really wild happens there's going to be many more terminator films that are made and and games and things in the future it's just something that's it's been a profound thing and it all came from a dream. And I think that, you know, a lot of this stuff, if you spend all this time trying to be like, I need to have it all figured out. I need to know what I'm doing. I need to be clear and, and know where this is going. It can stop a lot of the creative process. I do think it's important to work that stuff out as you go, but I don't think you need to know that right away to get started. I think a lot of the time you just have to have the inspiration or the inclination even to just take a step forward in that direction and see where that takes you and see what opens up for you. You know, and I think a lot of artists, they, or would be artists, I think they stop themselves before they ever even take a step forward. I think that they, you know, they just go, well, you know, let me get more prepared. Let me do this. Let me do that. And it's pretty soon you just never do it. And all that preparation was for nothing. So it's better to just get started doing it get some skin in the game, get yourself committed to it. And once you're in it, it's really hard to get out. Like even this conversation, right? If all of a sudden I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. It doesn't matter because I'm already in it and we don't cut. I mean, at least it would have to be an absolute emergency for us to cut. And that wouldn't be a good enough one for us. So I have to be here and sit with this just like you do. And we got to figure, okay, well, where's this taking us? And we just got to go with it. And I think it's a good reminder for every artist is just sit in it, let it take you somewhere and follow the impulse, follow the inclination, mm -hmm. follow the inspiration, just let it lead you and see what comes of that. Yeah. You know, it's like I teach in my classes with the Meisner work key to its philosophy. Uh, I always say there are no new, there are no mistakes, only new things to work off of. Right. And it's, it's a funny thing how we distrust ourselves and we have 
ideas in our head of how something needs to be or how something needs to look like or how something needs to come out in order for it to be effective, in order for it to be good, in order for it to be worthwhile. And, you know, learning that if you just accept what has happened, maybe your partner just goofed up a line. You know, maybe they just goofed up what they were saying, right? Well, instead of pretending like that didn't happen, because we all saw that it happened, what happens if you just acknowledge that that happened? Respond to that thing. And usually what what comes as a result by actually moving with the mistake, when you move with the mistake, you something great comes out of it. But it's only through the recognition of it. It's only through the the kind of like a playful acceptance of it. It's just like, oh, that happened, right? As opposed to like, oh, no, I screwed that up, right? Um, you, you just accept it, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, that happened. Okay, let's respond to that and acknowledge that. And something really wonderful comes out of it always. That might that might need more context in what I'm saying, but but like just in a general term, it creatively, um, spontaneously, that's what I found works. It's better than pretending that something didn't happen. You know what I find interesting is that whatever people's medium is, whatever their focus is, that's what life becomes. So like for my dad, you know, his whole life was sales. So to him everything is sales, right? Which I believe is true to some degree. Um, you know, for someone who's an actor, they might say like, everything is a scene. Everything is, is playing out a scene or a movie or something like that. Right. Storyteller might say, you know, everything's a narrative, whatever the thing is. And I had a teacher who said everything was a test. It makes sense. He's a teacher, you know, in the traditional sense of film or or the traditional sense of school, right? Everything's a test. Well, it is kind of, you know, everybody's right about that. How you look at it is really kind of accurate all at the same time, but it's more accurate for you and how you look at it. What I find interesting about that is not that everything is sales or everything's a test or everything is a scene is that it's your relationship to what a test is. It's your relationship to what sales is. It's your relationship to what a scene is. And if you see a test as a scary thing, as a thing that's, you know, I'm going to get found out that I didn't study, that I don't know what I'm doing, that, you know, I'm going to fail and all, and, and a lot of the things that get bred into a lot of people through school, you're not going to test yourself. You're going to actually avoid life. You're going to avoid tests, right? If you, you need to change your relationship to a lot of this stuff, you know, and going into things without knowing what you're doing, you need to change your relationship to it if you avoid it. Everything you avoid is a relationship issue. I mean, it's, it's everything is everything all at the same time. This is the, this is kind of the weird thing, right? It's like, it's a test, it's sales, it's a relationship issue. It's a scene. It's all of this stuff. It's your relationship to these things. And so like something I think you and I have worked through the capability of just doing this, right. Is like, we don't look at it as a scary thing. We don't look at it as a negative thing. We look at it as an exciting thing, an interesting thing, something that 
you know, might help us discover something we haven't been thinking about. And I think for the artist, it's so important for you to take on this mentality of let it be curiosity. Like, like if you're doing a test, even if you're in school right now and you're listening to this traditional school and they're testing you instead of going in your test, worried about, can I get this right or wrong and how I'm going to do and what is that going to look like? Why don't you look at it as in terms of curiosity? Like how much do I really know? Let's find out. Let's see. Let's see how, let's see what I know and what I don't know. You know, you can learn more a lot of the time from a test than you can from the actual study because the test helps you see, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Great. Now I know to figure it out. But, you know, it's also your relationship to authority. You know, these, all these yeah. things are all related, right? And you gotta, you know, I try to tell my clients all the time is like, you're either selling yourself into your dream or you're selling yourself out of it, you know? So if, if avoiding being tested in life is selling you out of your dream, you got to cut it out today. It's got to stop now. You know, like mm-hmm. that, that story, that relationship has got to change. It just has to. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, I think that it's something that in general, we can get better at, at, at working with and taking on more in our lives is, is becoming more comfortable in that uncomfortable place. Uh, but I think that to a large degree, you know, we're all, we all have sort of tests quote unquote, right? Tests of different sorts in our lives, you know, like, cause there's, that's the thing, like there's, this is a whole rabbit hole and maybe we'll go down into this, but, um, you know, yeah, like the, the whole thing of around tests and the anxiety that, that we have in our culture around them. I mean, that's not really necessarily any person's fault, you know, like you, most of us were just brought into that system and and so much is put onto tests you know there's so much that that does ride on tests for a lot of people it means you know you may or may not get into this or that you know school you may or may not get into this or that program like there there can be real consequences and i think that that's you know i think that that can be reevaluated and I know that there are lots of educators who are reevaluating that whole system of how we're testing people how are we grading people how are we measuring people's progress and intelligence and things like that these are all really important questions for us to be examining um, but regardless I think that that all of we have tests in different ways they're just not labeled as tests in our life you know once we kind of get out of the educational system we are tested in life you know life has enough tests uh as it is for us and i think that many of them are one like we're, we're always avoiding certain ones i think you know like you could probably if you if, if everyone searched there's probably a few tests there's probably a few things that you may need to confront or at some point you will have to confront that we're not really paying too much attention to because we just don't want to confront those tests right so and there's other ones that we are willing to 
right? There are ones that, that we're ready for. There are ones that we, that we can step into that uncomfortable space to, to take on. Right. Um, but I think that in general, the more we get used to, to just doing that and throwing ourselves into it uh, with that spirit, like you were saying of, well, let's see what I can find out. Let's see how much I know. Let's see how much I don't know. Let's, you know, as opposed to some arbitrary needing validation for somebody else, more as something that helps you to understand yourself better, right? Then I think that there's an opportunity for us to move more courageously into those tests. Mm -hmm. You you know, it's... uh... Like I, you know, I have a lot of issues with the current education system. I mean, I, uh, personally, I'm very defiant to it. And I believe that there are, are people that have been essentially it's, it's a, they've been wasted. Like their talents and skills have been wasted by the traditional film or not film industry. I'm thinking on the film industry. Cause I'm just thinking about a lot of people who, um, they try to run with their own, with like an education system that's based on traditional models. And all it does is it, it basically sets you up for failure because in, in certain mediums, the education system will work, but in other mediums, it just will not work. It, it's like trying to put a square block into a circle hole. It's just not going to happen. And something like right now, we just got a couple dogs here and uh, I've been training them. <clears throat> and so I've been educating myself more and more and and listening to dog trainers and things like that. And one of the trainers said, you know, dogs work for treats, right? So if you want to train them, generally you want them to be a little hungry because if they don't even want the treat, you know, they're not going to be responsive to your command and whatever. And part of the process is teaching them, you know, through reward and through punishment, but mostly through reward. That's kind of the more modern dog training, uh, method. And the reason why you teach them through reward, I'm going to come around full circle here, but the reason why you teach them through reward is because what it does is with, for the dog, it builds confidence and it builds a positive affirmation to things, even the word no or off or put it down or things like that. Whereas when people constantly say no, and they say bad dog, and they do all this stuff, what happens is that actually hurts the dog's confidence and the dog actually becomes more meek and more um, afraid to take action. The school system, the way it currently is, is a lot that way. It's, it's, you did a bad job. You know, you failed. This is a negative, you know, sit in your desk, be quiet, all this stuff. Whereas what we need to do is we need to teach people and we need to build confidence for them. If, if we really want them to succeed in the world and we want them to be, um, autonomous beings that can actually create and do stuff in the world that's actually meaningful. And I mean, I have a lot to say on this, Evan, I could go on and on, (laughs) but I'm going to, I'm going to leave it because I have 10 other things I want to say as well, but like we need positive affirmations to things. And if you have negative connotations, negative affirmations, you need to go, okay, that needs to be rewritten. That needs to be reworked. I need to reeducate myself. I need to, disassociate from bad, from negative, from failure, from all of this stuff, because what it's doing is the real cost is it's making you meek. 
It's making you weak and it's killing your confidence. Mm. Confidence comes from encouragement. You need to encourage yourself, not discourage yourself like traditional school does. Um, and, and, and I think that a lot of the problem is, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, is you have teachers who are trained in that model and they have a lot of kids to essentially control at once. And it's difficult. I understand the challenge. So for the teachers out there is like, hey, it's not my fault. No, it isn't your fault. You're in a system that actually has you handcuffed and puts you in a situation that's very difficult. And they don't teach you or encourage you the right things, at least not enough. I know that some teachers have come and told me, they've spoke to me directly and said, well, you know, the newer generation, we're learning how to do this. We're trying to figure it out. We have an older generation that fights us, uh, whatever. I don't know the whole story, but like, look, regardless, um, <laughs> I'm training these dogs. Our one dog, she's nine weeks old, only nine weeks. She's already jumping over a two foot fence. Why is this happening? She's so confident. She believes she can do anything. People are no different. Like the thing is, is like when something or someone has this type of positive affirmation, this encouragement, this confidence, they have capabilities that are beyond what other people are capable of, what other dogs are capable of, you know, whatever animals are capable of. So, you know, this is what I want for people. I want you to realize that you have a natural confidence that has been stifled and you need to rewrite the narrative, rewrite the story for yourself. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of what I'm I'm hearing and what you're saying is that, you know, we have a focus on the negative aspects. And, you know, I've heard that there's a certain, um, that there that's a part of our wiring um, that's very old. It's basically we're trained to look for things that are, um, that are mistakes, right? We're, we're trained to look for errors because there's a, there's a survival, it's a survival mechanism. We need to look at how things are wrong so that we can better survive and, and do things more right. And that's a great thing. Uh, but you know, there was, there was an old study or, or, or it's a story, an anecdote from, from some school teacher, like an elementary school teacher or primary school for some parts of the world, um, where this teacher wrote out, I think it was like 10 different math equations. And one of them was intentional. He wrote intentionally incorrect. And the kids all started laughing at this teacher and the teacher said like, well, what is it? And they're like, oh, you got that one wrong. Ha 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 ha. Right. And was saying, it's like, right. But nine of these were correct. Right. And like it was this whole thing. And it's like, but the, we focus so much on the mistakes and we don't spend enough time. Most, I think in our, in our culture, looking at the things that go right, you know, I, and I think that there have been attempts at remedying some of this stuff, but it's created its own set of problems. Like, you know, like there's, it's, it's almost like a, a stereotype now, but like, you know, the jokes about giving kids participation trophies and, worst and awards and worse. Yeah. And you know, it comes out of that sense. I think of like, we need to encourage. Right. But the problem is, is that, 
it's encouraging and not the right way. Yeah. It's, it's not a great way of encouraging, um, to reward because I, th I think what is the psychology of it? Maybe, you know, some of this a bit too, Brandon, but as I understand it, the psychology of it is that kids start to kind of feel like, um, like it's meaningless, like it's, it's, it's pointless, right? Because, you know, like, well, what's the point in working, you know, for the, for everybody, for the people who did well, you know, um, if everybody's getting rewarded, then what's the point in working hard? And then for the people that, uh, who didn't, you know, place high in whatever it is, they have a sense of like, this was unearned. Yeah. It's right? called, there's a, there's a term for it. It's called leveling. It's when you take the people who are high performers and you level them down to the median and then you take low performers and you raise them up to the median. And what you do is you create a, you create a, try to create uh, fairness and it's called leveling. And what it does is it actually hurts everybody. It does. It hurts the people in the middle as much as it hurts the people at the top and the people at the bottom. And it's, it's actually doing severe damage to people when we do leveling. And it's also based on a faulty belief that the result is what matters most. Yeah. It, yeah. Participation is about participation. It's not about the reward you get at the end. The fact that you got to play, look, I played high level soccer. Like this stuff lights me up a bit because I played high level soccer and I rode the bench for like two seasons and it was hard to sit there on the, on the bench and watch everyone else play just being like, how do I meet this level and not get cut from this team? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I, how do I do this? And two years of just pain, but it taught me to be great. It taught me to do things. It taught me to earn a spot. It taught me how, how to look to people that were doing well and learn from them and respect mm -hmm. them and appreciate their effort. And I remember a day when uh, the, we had the number one goal scorer, not just on the team, but in the league came over to me and he said, you know, Brandon, why don't you just go home and just work on the pylons, you know, like dribble through the pylons. And he, you know, he, he looked at me working hard and I was nowhere near where he was. I was like, you know, so far away, but he looked at me and he said, you know, here, here's some advice. And I respected that. I appreciated that. And this is the thing, the fact that I got to be on the team, the fact that I got to train with these guys, the fact that I got to have the conversation with the best goal scorer on the entire league in our entire age group, in our entire province, actually even in our entire country for our age group that year. And I had him who is getting way more recognition than me. And I had that person to talk to. You don't need a participation trophy. That's your participation trophy. Imagine you got to, if you're a hockey player, you got to hang out with Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby. Imagine you, you got to hang out with Michael Jordan. You know, imagine if you're playing basketball or whatever sport, Brady, it doesn't matter. Like imagine you got to talk to him. That's your participation. And we need to learn to respect high performance. We need to learn to appreciate the fact that we get to be in the same room when people are actually performing and not have this jealousy and envy and all this other bullshit that gets encouraged. And that's what participation awards do. 
Well, it's like, you know, it's, it's, we need to be able to look at, at people who are exceptional and be inspired by them. Yes. You know, I think that that's, that's one of the ways in which that can undermine that, right? Is, is to look at, at how someone else is, is gotten to be such, such a, you know, become masterful in, in their craft, masterful in their, in their profession. And, and we need to draw inspiration from that. It's advisable to draw inspiration from that. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, this is, this is a fascinating conversation. I'm glad that we're getting into this one a little bit, but I was reading in this article some time back, uh, it was about how to essentially better ways in which to talk to children, you know, to create healthy, confident kids, how to raise healthy, confident kids. And something you said about the result, right? That was one of the things they mentioned. It was just like, don't praise results, praise process. So like, your kid's doing an art thing, right? Instead of just being like, oh, that looks so great. Like that, that doesn't really say anything, right? You engage with, it's just like, oh, it's so interesting. Like the colors that you chose to use, why did you choose to use those colors? Mm-hmm. Right? Get them interested in, in, in the process of, of what's going on when they, um, you know, get a good score on a test or when they perform well in some activity, right? You praise the process that got them there, right? It's like you worked so hard at doing that. You studied, you, you know, you were practicing, you were rehearsing, you like, that's the stuff that we want to um, develop more than reinforcing result, right? Which is so much of, of what we have done so we want to praise the process but we you know yeah it's interesting i mean i feel like i'm starting to get a little bit out of my depth now (laughs) in this conversation because i'm like oh no i know that there's probably so many people out there who who study this and and research this and who know a lot more than i do but i do find that to be there's just something about that that idea in and of itself that i just go yeah that seems better Mm -hmm. you know that seems like a better way of of going about things because as we've talked about many times on this show you know life is about is more about the in-between than it is about the arriving at things right and the more that we can get interested and passionate and involved in that in the the in-between because that's, I think, really the, that's really the meat of life, you know, like it's, it's like, sure, like all of that, the, you know, the successes and things like that, those are all wonderful, but they're all fleeting. Mm-hmm. You know, the Oscars last for one night <laughs> and then it's back to your life, right? All right. Now, what are you doing next? What's the next project? What's your next performance? You can't phone it in. Because as they say in the sh- in show business, you're only as good as your last performance, mm-hmm. 
right? So it's like, it doesn't matter. Like it does. It does matter. Don't get me wrong. It matters on some level. But, you know, like you don't want to ever start phoning it in. You mm-hmm. don't want to ever start going through your life like, like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know how to describe this or how to, how to articulate this, but because there is something at the same time, like if you can live your life as if like you've already arrived, that is a beautiful thing, but Hmm. Well, it's it's yeah. Maybe pick if you can pick this one up, Brandon. I need a little bit more time in the oven with that one. Sure, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's it's a matter of arrogance, right? It's like just you know, it, don't be arrogant. And arrogance is thwarted by reality, because arrogant people don't face reality. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Arrogant people have a way of avoiding reality. That's why they can be arrogant. I mean, it's like pick anybody you know who's arrogant yourself, even. If you're arrogant about something, it's because you haven't faced it in reality. Because reality is a bitch. It'll slap you in the face. It is. It has no forgiveness for you when you face reality. You think you're hot shit? You think you're great? Once you, once you put yourself in the realm of reality, you're going to find out what you're really made of. You know, you want to, you ever been in a fist fight? You're going to find out what you're really like in a fist fight. You think you're tough. You think, you know, some moves, just wait, just wait until you're in a fight. Let's see what you can do. I'm not saying people should go get in a fight, but reality has a way of knocking you on your ass and making you humble. Arrogance comes from a lack of humility, which is in my opinion, in general, a lack of reality, which is why you need people and children to learn in reality, not in theory, not out of just out of books and out of, you know, keep them safe, you know, because they're children, you know, they, they'll be careless, they'll push themselves too far. And you need to figure out, okay, like, where's the line? How much reality am I going to allow them to interact with? Because that's really what you're doing, right? It's the same with teaching dogs and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's uh, these little puppies, they're getting so confident, Right. But it's like, yeah, but you know what, where I live now, you know, there's coyotes and there's, there's actually like wildcats and there's lots of things that can kill these little guys. Right. And they need to be under my watchful eye when I take them out, you know, and, um, you know, so I'd like to have them off the leash and let them run around and play and do whatever. But like, you know, at nighttime, if they get out of my sight and one runs one way and one runs the other, and I can't find them, that's, a scary situation, you know, as a parent, right. Mm-hmm. Which essentially I am right now with these dogs. Now it's it, it, as a teacher teaching a class and you're teaching children, I can only imagine how much of the parent role that you have taken on, you know, they're not even your children. So I get it. I get the challenge we're all under as adults trying to help young people learn. Right. Um, or just even if they're older than us, it doesn't really matter when we're trying to help somebody there's a certain amount of care, but you also learn care by having reality as an experience yourself. You know what to care about. You know, teachers who have only learned out of books, who have only learned in theory are not the best teachers in a lot of ways because they struggle to have context for what really matters. You know, I dropped out of film school for that very reason. I found out a lot of the film school uh, teachers I had hadn't even made a film. And they're teaching me how to make a film. What is that? That's crazy. That's absolutely insanity to me. 
do you, you know, you're not a filmmaker. There's a saying, I think it was David Fincher who said, you're not a filmmaker until you're running out of light, trying to get your last shot, you know? And that's so true yeah. when you've been a filmmaker, you know what that's like. It's, it's, it's excruciating. It's, it's so challenging, you know, and trying to rally the troops together to get it done, to make sure the actors perform. And, and then, you know, if something goes wrong, can I live with that? Can I deal with that? Is that okay? You know? And is it worth coming back tomorrow if that means paying hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes even more money for that day just to get that done again? You know, and when you feel that, you, you know, you, you, your, your time becomes precious as a filmmaker. You, you really learn a sense of care and a sense of order. And when your first AD is screaming down your neck saying, come on, we got to move on, we got to move on. And you're saying, one more take, one more take, one more take as the director. You understand what the fight is for. It makes sense. There's context. There's reality. Because you know that that AD is looking out for you and making sure that it doesn't go over budget and you don't run out of light. And at the same time, that AD who's, who knows your experience is going, he wants to make or she wants to make a great film, right? And this, this is us as humanity, right? This is us working together. Real world experience makes us great. You know, and we got to get it. We got to go out there. We got to get it. And and sometimes you're going to get a little burned. Sometimes you're going to get slapped in the face. You know, like I just say, embrace it, guys, guys and gals and everybody out there. Like, just embrace it. You're going to get you're going to get kicked in the ass a little. You're going to get slapped in the face, you know, like metaphorically, mostly, but uh, <laughs> sometimes literally. But like, look, you got to you got to go out there. You got to try. This is your life. You know, and life is lived. It's not. It's not just something you read about. You're actually in a human body experiencing life, feeling it. So you got to, you got to dare to, to feel it. You can't avoid your feelings and, and just pop a pill or hide away or distract yourself all the time. You got to, you know, if you want a life, you got to try to live your life, you know? And uh, I think education really, um, I, I, my, my hope and my, uh, if I have anything to do with it, if, if, if I can have anything to do with it, I, I hope that I can help encourage, uh, the next generation and generations to be people that get their hands in the dirt, you know, that, like that, that get out get, you know, read books by all means. I love books. I have a huge library, read all the books you can. I think they're amazing, but get your hands in the dirt too. You know, if you yeah. read something in the book, try out what you read in the book, you know, don't just think about it, do it. Yeah. Hey everybody, this is Evan. And this episode is brought to you by my book. Yes. I recently released a book called the actor's awakening, connecting spirituality to craft, expand yourself as an actor and your craft through a spiritual perspective. Take a journey that will explore universal philosophies and insights to help you understand human nature in a profound way and develop practices to take your work to another level. Again, that's The Actor's Awakening, Connecting Spirituality to Craft, available on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. And as always, if you like the show, please subscribe. Have you seen that... Uh, oh, I can't remember. It was uh, <clears throat> sort of like a, a documentary... It was like, you know, those documentaries that also have like acted scenes and stuff like that in them. Like oh, yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah. When they recreate recreations. Yeah. 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 I apologize, everybody. I'm I'm uh, I'm coming down from the cron. So my uh, 
<laughs> so my I'm I'm a little bit foggier than than normal today, but uh it was like about that big college scandal in the States. It came out just the last in the, like within the last year, I think. About these college admission scandals where there was all of this money from you know these families to get their you know and, and they were pulling some weird things to get their kids into these prestigious schools in the states right and it was interesting watching this documentary and because they were showing real clips of like kids who were just who were exceptional students worked so hard and they didn't get into the school you know into the school that they're trying to get into. They didn't get into Stanford. They didn't get into Yale. They didn't get into Harvard or, you know, one of the many that there are. And I remember seeing this, they they had this one professor or somebody who was, who was talking like, you know, this is crazy because so many kids, they've set their sights on trying to just get into these places, mostly because, for the name to such a large degree right and don't get me wrong that you know those those names do carry a certain weight to them and whether that's deserved or not entirely i i'm not the person to to necessarily weigh in on that but this guy was saying it's like these kids can get an exceptional education in so many other places You know, like it was just like you could like you don't have to go to this place and get a terrific education, you know, and you don't even necessarily have to go to some post-secondary to get a fantastic education. That's the thing. There's no there's no uh, there's no set path, you know, like there's no someone who who pursues what they're doing with real enthusiasm and passion and humility as you were saying like humility i think is one of the most overlooked of human virtues like true humility is i think opens the door for so many things Mm. you know like true humility creates the best environment within yourself to learn, um, to do something passionately, as well as to have compassion. Like there's just, and I'm sure there's way more if we want to spend some time on examining the virtues and and the the what comes with humility in your life. You know how it makes it better. But I'm not entirely sure where I was going with it. I did have a direction at one point. Um, well. You know, let me say this, Evan, you know, people, people don't realize how important it is to admit when you're wrong, you know, school, school basically beats it out of you, right? You can't never be wrong because wrong is failure, wrong and failure is bad and means you're less than, and it kills your status and all this stuff. Right. So like you got people who are faking, uh, knowing stuff that they don't know, um, that are arrogant because, it's a survival mechanism. And like, I get it. I get it because, you know, there's, there's, you feel there's consequences. I mean, why does anybody, why is anybody ever arrogant? I mean, provided you're not a narcissistic, like sociopath or something like that. Why, why in the world 
would you ever be <laughs> ever in your life? Why would you be arrogant? It's, well, I mean, it's, I, I think that there's probably a lot of people who don't recognize, you know, when yeah. they're they're arrogant, like who think that it's just like, I'm just confident. You know, you hear a lot of people, it's like, I'm just confident. And it's like, well. <laughs> Until you put them in reality and then you find out what they're really made of. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? It's like, you're, you're as confident as you have reality data, you know? Like, you know, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. Like it, it doesn't really matter what you talk about, about yourself. It's what you do. It's, it's what you've done. It's where you've put yourself. And I would much rather, I would much rather somebody who has failed a bunch and is aware of their failures and is working on figuring out how to overcome them than somebody who has this, like no failures and they're just a protected, insulated person. You know what I mean? Like Part of the, you know, part of the challenge with our generation, like, you know, I'm talking about you and I, and I know, I know that the next generations have had this battle as well as us. Right. But is this, we were told we were special. Right. And, uh, it's my, one of my favorite clubs, uh, or favorite uh, movies. I'm like ahead of myself here. One of my favorite movies is fight club because it's like, you're not a special snowflake, right? You're not special. Like, you, you know, it, and, and when you stop walking around, like you're special, right? And you start going, okay, it's not that it's not that I'm not special, but it's it's I'm not special. I can be special. If I apply myself, if I put myself out there, there's something special about that. And you have within you the capacity to do very, very special things. But you're not just born special. And I don't care your parents told you you could do anything and all of that stuff. Like none of that matters until you actually go out and you try. And here's the thing, you're going to mess up. But if you think that you can find a way, then you can do anything. Because failure is just a temporary roadblock on a long journey. So failure is not the end. It is not the end of the story. It is the middle of the story always for the champion. It is always the middle of the story for the champion. Even if it's death, it's still the middle of the story. It doesn't matter. The champion lives beyond their failures. They live beyond it and there's something transcendent to it. Look at Braveheart, for example. You know, th th one of the biggest Oscar winning movies of all time. And, and at the time, I think it was the biggest. Freedom. You may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom died for it, was willing to die for it, lives beyond their life. That's what championship is. That's what, that's what, that's what putting yourself on the line means. And it doesn't always mean death, but it means that you're willing to face the hardship, the oppressor, the adversity, the, the bigger thing than you. And you're willing to, to do it because there's something beyond you. So like, bring it back down to like, I want to start an acting career. I want to write a script. I want to paint a painting, sing a song, do whatever you want to do. Maybe the first few times are failures. It only ends if you stop. That's it. Yeah. And nobody cares about if you failed a thousand times. Cause if you make one hit song, man, people will remember you for the rest of your life potentially. So who cares? And, and we need to learn to embrace the failure as like a part of the journey, as a part of the strengthening process, you know, as a part of the reality data of learning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes me think of one of my favorite Dan Millman quotes, which is 
people rarely fail at anything, but they do stop trying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's and, essentially and, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it is, it's very true. And, and, you know, coming back around to something that I, uh, we were talking about a little bit, bit earlier, you know, I think that, you know, to this stepping out there, we've been talking, uh, quite a bit about this, I think in our last podcast as well, you know, normally we kind of start, we, we get kind of into a theme for, for a little while for anyone who's a regular listener and we just kind of keep on probing at it in different ways. But, um, you know, you, when you start to just let yourself go, you know, and just to, just to try, just to begin to, to take just that simple first step into something that you genuinely care about, you know, something that you're genuine, genuinely passionate about. Um, it can be a scary thing, but when you make those steps into that space and it is a bit of an unknown space, you begin to develop a certain kind of confidence. And that doesn't mean that things are going to always work out splendidly, but you start to learn how to respond and you start to trust yourself to respond. And I think that that is one of the most incredible things we can learn for ourselves as human beings, uh, which is to learn that we're more capable than we thought, even, even in our failures, right? Uh, that we, that we are capable of, more than we imagined we were capable of doing. And we're constantly learning that. And the way that we, we learn that is by continuing to make steps towards our, what we, what we love and what we care about towards our, our dreams, so to speak. I think that the more we, we do that and are courageous enough to do that, we show ourselves that we are, more and more capable and the trust that we begin to develop in ourselves. I think that's remarkable. Yeah. You know, just speaking in terms of like acting, I know that for most actors, but particularly in my own experience, once I really learned as an actor to really just step out there and with an attitude of, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this scene is going to unfold. And trusting that and feeling a kind of exhilaration in that, a freedom in that, as opposed to something so scary that, no, 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 I can't do that. I have to control everything that happens i need to know exactly how this is going to happen so i can guarantee that i give a good performance it's it's that's that's a you can't do that like it's it's impossible like that you cannot orchestrate a great performance that way the only way for a great performance to possibly happen is for you to step into that unknown space of i don't know what's going to happen and as you begin to trust that which requires you in some ways, as we've been saying, to test yourself by throwing yourself into that space 
and say, okay, all I need to do is listen. All I need to do is respond as fully and as completely as I can to what's going on, as truthfully as I can to what's happening, as honestly as I can. Then something happens, you know, and then something happens and you begin to develop the capacity for, I think, the ability to respond spontaneously, intelligently. And I think that that's a skill that so many of us have lost. I think that that is an ability that so many of us have become afraid of. Maybe not directly, but in some ways we've become afraid of developing that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 w- I don't know. Like, I would say it's like atrophy, right? It's like a muscle. Yeah. Because courage is like a muscle, right? Like the more you face your fears, the more courageous you become, the stronger you become at courage and the less fearful you are. And it just becomes, it looks like confidence. I mean, that's really what it looks like. And then people go like, well, how, how do you do this? Or how do you do that? Or, you know, what do you do? I remember a guy came up to me in, in university because I used to have like, I used to have all these women around, right? This women, I wasn't even dating them, but they were just a lot of more friends. They were a lot of more very beautiful. They were good, nice girls. Right. And a lot of my friends ended up marrying these girls that, you know, hung out with me. But the thing is, is the reason why I was good with women was one was that I, I talked to them like people and most guys weren't talking to women like people. They were trying to game them. They were trying to do things. And a guy came up to me and asked me like, what do you say? What do you do? And I said, uh, I say, Hey, how's it going? He's like, no, you don't come on. What do you say? What do you really say? I'm like, Hey, how's it going is really literally often the first thing I ever said to somebody. And I was scared at first to talk to, to, you know, to women. Um, and, and the thing is, is like, I was scared to talk to guys. I was scared to talk to everybody. I mean, I was scared of, of fucking so much stuff. You have no idea. People, people look at me now and they think, Oh, like you must always been this way. I wasn't. I was scared. I was bullied in school, man. I like, like, yeah, I had certain successes with sports and stuff like that, but I was like real scared, man. I was real scared. I was scared of older people. I was scared of talking to people who were more successful than me. I was scared of a lot of stuff. I had to overcome all of that. And, uh, you know, what I learned was, um, I said, I don't care. I'm not going to be scared of this anymore. I just said, I'm going to go do this thing regardless. And let's just see what happens. And what I started to find out was when I started to approach women who I was interested in or liked, or I just wanted to meet them. I just wanted to meet people. It wasn't even about trying to date. It was just a lot of the time. I just like, I don't know. That person's looking at a picture of art. I remember this one girl, she was looking at a picture of art and I liked that picture of art and she was looking at it. And I thought, well, if she likes that piece of art, I like that piece of art. So what's the problem with talking to her? And I went up to her and I said, Hey, how's it going? What do you think of this? You know, she said, oh, I said, blah, blah, blah. We started talking. We became friends. You know what I mean? And the thing is, I started to realize that people didn't even hear the first thing I said to them. They, they like were so surprised that I was talking to them in the first place because I was a total stranger who just approached this person and people aren't expecting that a lot of the time, especially when you're not sitting there thinking about it, going, oh, should I, will they reject me, whatever. I was just like, I saw something, I went and I took action. I did it often before I thought. And what I started to find out was that if people didn't see it coming, they often didn't even hear and, and comprehend the first thing that came out of my mind. They were still playing catch up. And so then it was just a matter of like, I didn't need to have a fancy line. It was, hi, hello, how are you? What's going on? What do you think of this? People go, oh, someone's talking to me. That was their first thought. Yeah. 
And, you know, you, you just take the pressure off yourself and it's really, really not that hard. It's actually quite easy. But people who, who are afraid, you know, they often are just too in their heads. That's just really ultimately what's going on. You know, this, this, it's just kind of coming full circle. Some of this for me, it's some of the stuff that we were, we started out with in this conversation and, you know, the, the, what we were talking about in terms of, you know, how we're educated and how we're so result oriented and how actually the, the best way to create or to, to help, you know, kids become confident kids and confident adults is process right and in i think that that's because that's something i struggled with for a long time too uh was was talking to girls uh you know in my in my teens and my and my 20s uh i didn't have a lot of confidence with it um because i was like i was a late bloomer so i didn't get a lot of attention until quite late and then i felt like i was totally you know behind the eight ball on that one um and so I had to to figure some things out, but you know I think that part of it, and I I, I won't necessarily say, uh, you know maybe there's something that has to do with you know the culture of of you know maleness that that came with it, particularly in in our time, <laughs> in our generation and generations before, but there's kind of this result, isn't there? You know, like you approach a girl and you feel like there's got to be some sort of result. She has to like me. You know, I have to get her number. I have to, you know, or sometimes it's just like, oh, I have to, you know, like hook up with this girl. I have, you know, like sometimes there's all of this shit that you're carrying around. It's just like, no, 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 no. Hang on. You're, you're focused on result here. And you don't need to be focused on result. You might not even like this fucking person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you haven't even accounted for that. Uh, like on one thing, you might not like this person at all. So maybe you focus on the process, right? Just like you see someone, you're attracted to them, right? Maybe the goal is just like, all right, let's just see if I like this person. Let's just see if this is a if this is a friendly person. Maybe my goal is to have is to have. Uh, a pleasant conversation with another human being right process now we're focused more so on on something that is actually more within our control for one um but also one that engages us in a completely different way right one where we're not using lines or some you know bullshit phoned in approach that we read out of a book but engaging in an actual an actually potentially meaningful dialogue with a person mm -hmm. actually like because otherwise you you that that's the problem with a lot of those lines and and i understand that for some people like if you're really lacking in confidence sometimes they can help yeah you know sometimes they can be helpful just to help you get the first words out of your mouth um but the thing is is that like if you're just full of of lines you remove the possibility of a genuine connection happening you know like there's actually that <laughs> that classic scene in night on the roxbury for people who haven't seen night on the roxbury it's a will ferrell classic um but like these guys are so like they're going to the club all the time and 
they they never like they've got all of these lines they never end up you know being able to like meet women or being able to like you know pick up women and this one night they end up you know like getting like going back to like these hotels with these girls and they don't know what to do with them yeah. like it's hilarious they just they keep on using these pickup lines on them and they're like what the fuck like we're already like we're already here yeah <laughs> they just didn't know what to do so it's like yeah like you like how about ha- like trying to have a genuine connection with somebody mm-hmm. how about that we focus on the process yeah, right reminds, and yeah. yeah go ahead it just reminds me like go back to intention right like your intention if your intention's good man you, you, you your problems are solved a lot of the time like intention is 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 um it's a powerful thing people don't realize it they're like like a lot of the problem I have with goal setting, and this is something I've, I've, I'll, to, in fairness, I've really only learned recently, but I, I identified this in myself because I've seen myself do it. And, and I always had an issue with, um, you know, we talked about resolutions and, and, and goals and things like that. But the, the problem with goal setting can be that you get focused on this, on the achievement of the goal, the result and, and the completion of it. Right. Whereas like, did you know that it's admirable to even go for a goal? But we don't look at it that way. And the the intention of like, like if you're an actor out there and you say like, or a filmmaker, or you're in the film industry, whatever, and you want to win an Oscar, whether you win it or not, the intention of you going for that is, is a pretty admirable thing. You want to be the best that year? Like, good for you. Incredible. Like, I love that but you don't appreciate that. You're just thinking about the gold trophy at the end. Who gives a shit? Like the fact that you're trying to be somebody that's going to put out the best performance or the best film or the best, whatever for the year, even if it's just in a festival or like whatever, if it's in music, you want to make a hit, like the intention of you trying to do that is an incredible thing that you're trying to do. Celebrate it, celebrate it on a regular basis. And you will have that victory over and over and over again. And I think with that intention and that celebration, you have a much greater chance of actually seeing the award at the end of the day anyway. But like, like you said early on in the conversation, Evan, like that, that Oscar night is one night, right? It's, it's, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, you know, I, Gabriel Napora, who's been on our podcast, right? He has two, two Leo awards, which, you know, they sit up as trophies kind of in the house. Right. And they're there. They're, they're nice to look at. They're beautiful trophies. I admit but it's like, what do you, what do you do with it after you have it? You know what I mean? Like, it's nice to have the trophy, but it's like, it's, it's, it's the appreciation. Like, like he and I talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about like making great films and, and, and what we're both trying to do with our careers and stuff like that with, with, with film. And, you know, he, he talks a lot about how like, he just wants to make great films, you know? And there was a time in his life where it was more about getting success and more about achieving these things. And like, it's such an interesting guy to be able to have, um, you know, these uncanny kind of like, like personal conversations with, because you get to see that, like, once you win the award and you think that's going to be a big deal, it really is such a minor thing in your process. It's such a, it's such a small thing but like his intention to make more great films 
is really, I think, what has been driving his career success because he's been doing really, really well. And it's like, um, it's that intention, you know, the, the goal, like, yeah, it'd be nice. Hey, look, like maybe we'll, you know, maybe this thing will win this award. Maybe it'll go there. But like the intention to try and do something great, this is the thing that I'm, this is the thing that I'm trying to rewire in my own brain. And I'm also encouraging everyone else rewire because I was also under that confusion as well. I used to think that, oh, it's all about the results. It's all about showing what you've done and credibility and all of that stuff. And it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, it helps. I mean, I'm not saying it, it's nice, but like, look, at the end of the day, the fact that you're trying to make the best film in the world, or you're trying to make the best uh, thing of that year, the fact that you're trying to do that, like, bravo, you know, yeah. like way to go, like celebrate yourself. You're an incredible human being. You're trying to do the best. You know how many people aren't? <laughs> yeah. Like let, it's like letting rewards be a byproduct. You know, totally. like the results totally. are a byproduct simply of, of the process that you're involved with. Right. So pick a process that you care about, pick a process that you're passionate about, you know? Yeah. I think that that's the, that's ultimately the best way to go about it. Right. Anything where you can like that, that gets you the most invested in the process of what you're doing, like do that thing. And all this and stuff will come out of it, you know, like you don't know what and it won't always be, you know, you won't always get certain things from it. Some things will do well, some things won't do as well. But, you know, you'll you'll have lived the life of an artist, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're in an artistic medium or not or, or profession or not, you know, that is an artist like in a, a master artist mindset. Right. It's like moving on to the next one. Yeah, like you're saying Gabriel's won these Leos and it's just like, that's great. Like that's a, that's a beautiful, you know, like memento almost of, of something that you, you put a lot of heart and passion into, right? But that's not, if he didn't get it, he wasn't going to stop making movies. Totally. Right? You get it, you don't get it. You're not going to stop because you're doing something that's more important than that. You're doing something that has more meaning than that, because if you're if you're living, if you're living and dying by by trophies and recognition, like you're never going to end up pursuing anything that's really worthwhile for you. I think. Yeah, I I think I think it's uh you know it's just it's 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 a misunderstanding you know it's it's a yeah. it's a misunderstanding and you know like like I get it I I mean when I, when I played soccer at a high level, like there's a lot of pressure, um, especially when you play forward or striker, um, you got to score. And if you don't score, like really the whole team is relying on you putting balls in the net. I mean, that's really what you have to do. And in, in, if anyone knows soccer, football, everyone to put it like goals really, really matter. They're a big deal. And when you play that position, you know, you have a lot of pressure to get those results, to score those goals. And, and, um, you know, creating chances is, is great, but like, if you're not assisting or doing something and putting the ball in the net, that's your entire job. That's really what you're supposed to do. So I remember like when I was younger, I had an incredible amount of pressure to score. Like it was just, it was like all I thought about, like, 
And if I, if I had a terrible game, but I scored, it was a win. But if I had the best game of my life, but I didn't score, it was like a total defeat for me. And um, <laughs> the reality is, unless you are like a top, top goal scorer, you're not going to score every game. Um, if, if you're playing in high levels, I mean, if you're playing low levels, like, you know, I've had games where I put like in low levels, like put pff, probably like seven balls in the net, you know, like it's like, you know, but when you're playing at this really high competitive level, especially you're playing in tournament games and stuff like that, it's such a big deal when you score and you start to think that you are your goals, you are your results. Right. Um, and it took me a while to learn that, that my position on the field was not just my results. It was how I played with the team. And it really changed my game when I started to see it that way, because I would make the pass or I would lay off the ball or I would do something different than I would have done before, which actually created more chances and more goals. And I wasn't even trying to score more goals by by looking at it more as I need to play well, I don't need to score as much. I do need to score, but I don't need to score as much as I need to play well. That that kind of change in perception created more goals, created more winning games, um, created uh, more playing time, more things, right? So like I pair this over to being a filmmaker, being an actor, being anything. Like if you look at it like you're making a film, you know, speaking to filmmakers, for example, and I'm sure you could relate this to being in a band or anything, but it's like, if I help my actors do great performances, if I help my crew do a great job, if I help everybody do great at their job, I do great at my job. And so instead of just putting it on my shoulders, like I need to be the guy that like leads us through this storm of craziness, you end up doing it inadvertently because by helping everyone else who's on your crew the ship sails seamlessly and you look like a great captain so it's um you know it's a funny thing right it's like you uh you don't need to put so much pressure on your own results like look at it as um a process and also i would really encourage people to try to see your team you might not realize that you have a team you might feel like you're alone but i guarantee you in some way or another you have a team because if you have an acting teacher, for example, they're a part of your team. If you have an agent, they're a part of your team. There's so many people that are a part of your team. And we don't, we don't always look at it like we're all working together on this thing, right? Because we really are. I mean, it's not all on your shoulders, you know? And you will get the results by learning how to help other people succeed along with you. Mm. Yeah. That uh, makes me think of... Uh... Like in the in the in the Tao Te Ching, there's a there's a number of of uh, pieces in there about leadership that that made me think of where it's like one of them is is like you know a great leader leads from behind or something mm -hmm. like that you know like you're behind the sh and 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 other there's other ones that say something to the effect of when a great leader is doing their job, the people think that they've done it themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a saying I heard very early on when I started teaching, which was, uh, at the end, they'll say they did it. They'll, at the end, they'll say they did it themselves. And, and that was 
something I, I kind of had to learn as a teacher was that, or a mentor was that, you know, not always will you be thanked for the help that you gave people. It's just something that is kind of, you know, it's just the way we are. We're like, we don't always recognize where things come from, but they're, yeah. you know, they're, you know, but it changed also the way I looked at how I learned as well, because I realized, you know, there's a lot of things that I think I've done myself, but people have helped me. People have given me mm-hmm. opportunities and chances. And it's just like the student that thanks their mentor or their teacher is the wise student. The student that thinks they did it themselves is the ig- ignorant student, right? Um, but you shouldn't blame your students for being ignorant. I mean, it's just like, as the, as the mentor or teacher, like if you're doing it, you're doing it not for your own ego. You're doing it because you truly want, at least in my belief, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe not everyone's this way, but I think that what you're really doing is you're doing it because it's rewarding to see your students succeed. It's rewarding to Mm -hmm. see your mentees succeed. Right. Um, so whether they acknowledge that you help them or not is, is, is quite irrelevant. Um, and in fact, I would say that most of my mentors, whenever I'm like, thanks so much, man, like, you, you know, you really helped me. Like you did this thing. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they didn't even, they weren't looking for that. They didn't, they didn't know. And, and, uh, I, I, you know, I've learned, um, to put my ego aside that way too, because, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, it, it, we all to some degree, I mean, maybe not everybody, but I think, you know, there's a reward with recognition. Um, but you know, uh, with some of this stuff, it's just like, uh, you know, you just, just, just see that there's more to it than just you. That's, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have some tea today, don't you? I just, yeah, I was just drinking tea today. Cause, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, I was dealing with a couple days of the cron yeah. as I I call it. And, uh, I can't really taste anything yet. It's, it's starting to come back. But, uh, so I was like, well, there's not really much point in me having a beer. So I'll, uh, I just had some breakfast tea. There you go. <laughs> so nice. maybe you got a little something more interesting than me, Brandon. I think so. <laughs> Uh, well, this is a, this is a beer. This one's from Red Deer, Alberta. And um, I'm not sure if we've ever had this one before. I feel like maybe it did, it did make an appearance once, but it's called Hammer Down Lager. Oh, you can't see it because it's all blurred out. It's called <laughs> Hammer Down Lager. Um, and uh, it's um, a collaboration with Sawback, Sawback Brewing Co. and uh, the Road Hammers. Um, Combining their two passions of craft beer and live music, Sawbrack brought the beer to the Hammers and the Hammers brought the sound. The boys are back at it. Crack this beer, crank the volume, and hammer down. That's kind of the saying for the beer. Anyway, it's it's a good one. It's tasty. Um, it's uh, 4.4% alcohol. A nice little sipper while we're doing this podcast. And uh, Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Uh, you know. Trying out, trying out the new things in Alberta as I venture out in this neck of the woods. Yeah, well, um, I'll have one for the next episode. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be back at it. I'm confident. So, <laughs> I think so too. Um, okay, final thoughts. Let me let me start by wrapping up so you can have the final. 
final saying. Um, oh, you're gonna give make you're gonna put all the pressure on me to say the final yeah, words. I'm gonna leave all it. Right. I'm gonna leave it to all you, right. man. Well, look, yeah, you know, just to kind of recap some of the things we said, like your relationship to a lot of things is something that you want to continually look at, you know, like just reevaluate how you look at things. Like if you're scared of something, understand that really it's as simple as just usually changing a relationship to it, you know? So like just start to start to um, take control of your life and don't just um, accept that things are as they are, like if something is not working, if you're scared of it, if you're avoiding it, if you're resistant to it, um, that's a relationship issue usually to some element of it. So, um, you know, find a better relationship to it. And, and, you know, the answer I ultimately would say is, you know, it sounds probably overly simplistic, but it's like, you come back to the love, where's the love? Because, you know, in my opinion, Every human being, the fact that you're a human being is an incredible, incredible thing. And it's just incredible that you're a human being alone. Like you, you might not realize this, but the, the fact that you can walk and talk and think, and the fact that you can listen to this and understand all of this language that we've been spilling out and you can comprehend this and you can think about it and you can implement it into your life. Like that is amazing. And so I want you to go away from this. Uh, anybody who's listening, I want you to go away from this. I want you to, I want you to take a little bit of time every day or at least do this once, but I want you to appreciate yourself. This is incredible. And you have, you don't know this if you're, if you're not, if you haven't experienced it yet, but you have a natural confidence, like a natural human, like barbarian, like raw incredible element to you that is probably untapped if you're not fully living out the life you want to live. So I want to, I want you to encourage that out of yourself and sell yourself on it and, and, and find it and dig into it. And then the second thing I want you to do is I don't care if you win or lose at whatever you're after, but I want you to go for it. And I'm encouraging you to go for it. And if no one's ever given you permission to do it, I am. And I'm telling you, just take the step, walk in the direction, try it out because it's admirable. It's absolutely admirable that you have made a decision to go out and go for something that matters to you. Incredible, amazing that you figured out and decided to do that. And you pushed aside the odds and you went for it and you went out in the world and you're doing it. And, and you know what, if you're going to show up to a battle or a fight or a challenge or something like that, and you know, you're going to lose, it's admirable that you're willing to show up. It's admirable because you just might win. You just might win. And that's what an audition is if you're an actor. And that's what writing a song is if you're a musician. And one day you might just have a hit. And one day you might just book that role. And one day you just might do it. So just keep showing up to the battle, win or lose. You show up, you show up, you show up, and let's see what you're made of, you know, not just so we can see it, but so you can see it. Cause that's what matters. Nice. I think for me, the, this conversation has been a reminder for myself to, again, it's just like focus on process, focus on process. 
you know, like it's something that probably so that we haven't been necessarily trained to do, you know, but if it's something that we are now saying like, this is the best way that, that we need to, to raise our kids, you know, like this is the best way that we like, then we need to start doing that for ourselves. If it wasn't really done for us and shift this mindset of, of results to process, 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 falling in love with the process of what we're doing is going to, is going to, as a byproduct, yield better results if we put that, that focus there. So, and in that process, kind of bring in a few other things that we were talking about, you know, like we will find all sorts of ways in which that, that tests and challenges us. Um, but learn to just respond and respond with, with, with a kind of exhilaration and don't, don't destroy yourself over whatever mistakes you were made. You know what? If you, if you acknowledge a mistake, acknowledge five other things that you, that you actually did well, that you did right. You know what I mean? Cause there, there are more, most likely you did more things right than you did not do right. Acknowledge those things. Don't get too hung up on the mistakes. Just learn from them. Learn from them. And move on and, and, and keep going. But don't let those things ever stop you from doing what you really care about, what you really love, what you're really passionate about. That's the only thing that matters in, in this life is, is, create, is the, the, the things that we create out of that passion. That's a, that's a life worth living and it's got nothing to do with the result. Thank you for listening in on our conversation today. We hope you found something helpful that you can carry forward with you. Head over to our website, wayoftheartist.com for more free exclusive material and learn about the show. If you haven't already, please support us by subscribing to the show, sharing it with people you know, and keeping compassionate, creative conversation going.